Hey, it's Michael Isikoff here. Before we do this Buried Treasure edition of Skullduggery, I want to let our listeners in the Washington area know we'll be doing a special in-person live taping of the pod next Thursday, April 28th at 4 p.m. at Politics and Prose Bookstore. The title of next week's pod is The Trump Investigations. Where are they headed? And we've got a great panel for the show. Bob Woodward and Carol Lennig of the Washington Post and George Conway. That's next Thursday at 4 p.m. at the main Politics and Prose store on Connecticut Avenue in Washington, D.C. If you can, please swing by. In Washington, the gravest international crisis since the war flares into the open. President Truman drives to the Capitol to report to an extraordinary session of both houses of Congress on the growing problems in Greece and Turkey. One of the primary objectives of the foreign policy of the United States is the creation of conditions in which we and other nations will be able to work out a way of life free from coercion. This is no more than a frank recognition that totalitarian regimes imposed upon free peoples by direct or indirect aggression undermine the foundations of international peace and hence the security of the United States. That was Harry Truman in March 1947, delivering to a joint session of Congress one of the most consequential foreign policy speeches ever given by a U.S. president. It was the speech in which Truman announced his plans to rush aid to two embattled countries, Greece and Turkey, threatened by instability and, as U.S. officials saw it, communist subversion. Truman effectively was setting forth a new policy, committing the United States to assisting countries resisting aggression, or perceived threats of aggression, from Soviet Russia. It was dubbed the Truman Doctrine. And along with the Marshall Plan, the creation of NATO, and the Berlin Airlift, it created a global security architecture that is still very much with us. And today, 75 years later, it's shaping how Joe Biden is responding to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We'll talk to Jeffrey Frank, author of a new book, The Trials of Harry Truman, about how the plain-speaking man from Missouri came to roll out that policy role it played then and continues to play today on this episode of Skullduggery's Buried Treasure. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Victoria Bassetti, a senior counsel at States United. And uh, Dan Clydman, our other co-host, is off today. But we are joined by a truly great guest, my old friend and editor, Jeff Frank, author of The Trials of Harry Truman. Jeff, welcome to Skullduggery. It's good to be here. And congrats on the book. It really is a great read and sort of recreates the world of Washington three quarters of a century ago. But also, I got to congratulate you on your timing because so much of what happened then during Harry Truman's presidency 
seems directly relevant to our world today and the Ukraine crisis. Agreed? Well, yes and no. I mean, the world is so incredibly different today. And I I would love to think that this book was prophetic and, and really relevant. But in fact, you know, there are huge differences. The major difference, of course, is that the United States in 1947 had an atomic bomb and no other country had had one. So there was a certain advantage to anything that Truman said or that the government said. It had a certain heft that, that, isn't, that isn't there today. But it was a policy that the more, the more you study it, they were making it up as they went along. They were improvising this thing. And uh, if you want me to talk about how it all came about. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. But yes, the ad hoc nature of how foreign policy was made during that, you know, during that period, it clearly comes through in your book. But look, I mean, the policy that Truman was laying out with the Truman Doctrine, we, the United States, are committed to assisting countries resisting aggression. And then the creation of NATO and the Berlin Airlift were all sort of laying the groundwork for not just, you know, the Cold War, but it seems it resonates today with how we're trying to respond to Russian aggression in Ukraine. Yeah, they were also also different, though. That's, that's, that's what I mean by being improvised. The, the, the Truman Doctrine came in response to uh, the, the great England was dropping its support for, for Greece and Turkey. They were giving a lot of financial support. Dean Acheson, who, who was the undersecretary of state then, marched into the Oval Office and said, look, this is this is an incredibly serious thing. If, if Russia begins to get a, get a hold of, of, say, Turkey and Greece, then we'll be get a hold of Iran and Western Europe. And Truman was persuaded to, to, to make this, this speech. This was in fact, a threat that didn't, not entirely sure it existed. George Kennan was very skeptical. Uh, who was George Kennan was the author of the containment theory. Was skeptical of this at first. He thought we were going going too far. One of Truman's aides, uh, well, Elsie, thought that that he should we should be thinking about the reconstruction of Europe as if he had already already had a preview of the Marshall Plan, which was a year a year off, and NATO was two years off. There was a, a resolution proposed by a Michigan Republican, Arthur Vandenberg, talked and sort of endorsed this sort of idea of an alliance of Western European nations, but we weren't there yet. Right. But, the you know, you mentioned Kennan, and that is so interesting because he was raising objections to at least the rhetoric yes. <laughs> that Truman was articulating as the justification for the Truman doctrine that, you know, Truman was laying out these sort of universal precepts that maybe wasn't going to apply in every situation where there was an aggressor and an embattled country. That's exactly right. And for them, you know, Truman, you know, they were making very clear, Truman and his aides, that we're not talking about military aid here. They weren't sending any military aid to Greece or Turkey. They were sending, sending money. And uh, Dean Acheson, when he testified about the, this aid, it was a lot of money in those days, $400 million, said, no, no, we're not. This is not a military thing. And, and, uh, and he had uh, opposition from people like Robert Taft, the from Ohio, who was deeply concerned that we were going to get, we were really going to have foreign entanglements up, you know, up, up the wazoo. And that's not what, that's not what, and I should also mention one more thing. Truman's chief of staff, Admiral William Leahy, was much more concerned about China. And he said, we have, we cannot have a Soviet-style state in, in that region. This was two years before Mao Zedong sort of won that war. So there were a lot of different voices. Yeah, you mentioned that NATO, I think, is like comes a year later. 
after this. Well, right? Two years later. But, yeah. Two years later. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, is still with us today. But the the sort of, you know, the, the way you describe the creation of the NATO alliance is, is kind of amusing in a way, because Truman, in contrary to the sort of, you know, somewhat elevated rhetoric of the Truman Doctrine speech, you know, portrays it in the most pedestrian of ways. I mean, that quote, you know, here he is announcing, you know, one of the most consequential treaties ever signed by a president, certainly in the post-war era. And he says, we are like a group of householders living in the same locality who decide to express their community of interest by entering into a formal association for their mutual self-protection. It's like a neighborhood watch group. Exactly. (laughs) It's like a super neighborhood watch group. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, <laughs> and and yet it endures and is central to our response right now to Russian aggression in Ukraine. Yeah, it sure is. And, and what's, of course, it's complicated itself by becoming a NATO very much unlike the NATO that Truman that was started in, in 1949, the 12, the, the, what I think was 16 nations of NATO. Now it's 30 nations of NATO, some of whom have nothing to do with with the original idea of NATO, one of whom at least maybe it may even be a sympathizer of with, with Putin, the, the, the Hungarian regime. So it's a very different, very different NATO. So it's, it's still there. It's been one of the most effective foreign policies of the post-war era. But as you know, there was a, a lot of debate of when, it, when it began to expand and expand in, in, in the mid-90s, by starting with uh, Bill Clinton and then George W. Bush. And then Kennan, and Kennan, by the way, again, George Kennan in, in his elderly years said, this is the most consequential mistake, post-war mistake we're ever going to make. We're talking about the expansion. The expansion. Yeah, that and was he, and he predicted years, decades exactly later. It's going to really yeah. set off Russian nationalism and so on. Yeah, yeah. So as you look at the Biden administration's response to Putin and what's going on in Ukraine right now and the limitations that the president has put on our response, as well as the role of NATO. Is this the way you think Harry Truman would have responded? And how do you see the similarities or differences in the Biden approach from the Truman approach in the beginning of the Cold War? Yeah, I've, I've thought about this. I mean, of course, Biden is trying, I mean, they're trying very carefully to to not treat Ukraine is a NATO situation. Ukraine is not a NATO nation, so there's no obligation to come to the defense of Ukraine by any by any treaty. It's a very delicate situation. I have no idea how Truman would have handled it, but he would have, but he would have he would have been very very cautious. Um, I can't think of anything quite like it where there wasn't actually a. I mean, NATO has not been has not had a real challenge, and 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 Truman probably would have responded. But Ukraine, as I say, was not is not a NATO country. Biden is is doing okay. He's he's doing it very very delicately. Um, are we sending arms to Ukraine? Well, that's kind of provocative, but maybe we're just sending arms uh, through another funnel. I, I I don't know, but it's but but it's uh, it's a very de- very delicate situation, and I and Truman faced nothing quite like this one. So I want to pivot to domestic politics under the Truman administration. In the 1950s, there was another politician named McCarthy who dominated a lot of the uh, the airwaves and created a what. A, a very partisan and and complex environment. How did Truman deal with McCarthy? Was it effective? Was there anything Joe Biden reading this book would uh, would think? Ah, oh, 
Truman had the right way of handling that that partisan these partisan attacks. Truman, you know, McCarthy didn't really really reach his height until Eisen, the Eisenhower years, and I, and, he, and that was also his 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 downfall. And Truman had already Truman had was had had already on his own initiative started the the Federal Employee Loyalty Program, which was pretty scary for people who lived and worked for federal employees in Washington. Two million federal employees had, had to have be fingerprinted, registered, questioned about suspicious activity. For example, do you have any Negro friends? That was very suspicious. And um, it was Harry Truman who did that. This, this is under, yeah, I mean, he, it wasn't, this was the, this was Truman's order and it was, he did it by executive order. And it was very controversial at the time. And it was sort of part of the zeitgeist then. There was also the, the Red Scare, the Hollywood 10, all of that. McCarthy sort of reached his height, as I say, later, later on in the 50s. And Truman was gone by then. But Truman knew who he was. And he, he was appalled by him. And when McCarthy gave his famous wheeling speech, oh, I have a list of people in the State Department. Truman did not like it. But he, but he never, he, he took on McCarthy during press conferences. He, was, he would mention him by name. But, but then in those days, the president had the final say on what could be quoted, and McCarthy's name went out of the of, of the quotation. There was another pretty dominant figure, though maybe not as uh, well known as uh, McCarthy or as some of the kind of red baiting that was going on in the late 1940s and early 1950s, and that was J. Edgar Hoover. Truman had some pretty interesting concerns about J. Edgar Hoover, yet he never acted on them. What is? Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, Truman just Truman ducked that one. They they did not like each other. There was an almost almost a visceral mutual suspicion. But and Truman privately said, "I think he. I'm afraid he's going to some some kind of Gestapo over there." But boy, he was always he was always very uh, in public and 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 so on. He was always very gingerly when he talked about about Hoover and and and, and vice versa. They had had they had bad blood back back in the early '40s when Truman was a senator. Truman had made fun of uh, Hoover's thought that maybe that maybe we could have stopped, maybe we could have known about Pearl Harbor in advance and so on. And, uh, you know, one so. senses uh, almost ambivalence from Truman on on this sort of stuff, because on the one hand, you know, he has contempt for McCarthy. He doesn't like J. Edgar Hoover, but he implements this loyalty program that really did change. I mean, I, there's a great quote you have from Alan Barth, who was a Washington Post editorial writer, who wrote about the Truman loyalty program. No overstatement to say that this program fundamentally alters the traditional American relationship of the individual to the state the inevitable effect is a corruption of the traditional American right of privacy and the development of a dangerous police power. And that yeah. was Harry Truman's doing. It was. Truman was a politician and he saw this issue arising and he tried to do, he tried to head it off to blunt it as much as he could. I talked to Barth's daughter, Flora, and, and just to sort of get a sense of that, of what that time was like. And she remembers even her, and Barth was never under investigation by Hoover, but she remembers her mother talking to her mother and, and basically making asides. I think they're listening to us and so on. So there was a, there was a feeling, paranoia is too strong, but there was a feeling of being watched, particularly if you were in a prominent position. So, Jeff, you're, you've been a novelist and a historian. You wrote a great book, Ike and Dick, about uh, Eisenhower and Richard Nixon some years ago. What interested you about Harry Truman? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's very personal in a way. I, you know, he was my first president. I was a kid 
I mean, I, I don't, I didn't know idea, no idea who he was, but Truman was, was when I became conscious of government when I, and I was growing up in Washington, Truman was the president. My father worked for the Department of the Army. He, he was a civilian with the Department of the Army. And I don't remember, I mean, there was never any, any discussion. If there was, I wouldn't have realized what it was. But what I did realize was that at some time, my father began to have to work on Saturdays and the days got longer. And that was, of course, after after July of 1950, when North Korea began a blitzkrieg against the South, and that changed, and that, that little war became a very, very big war, which, which I go into at some great length in the book. But what interested you about the man? I became, I was baffled by him, and I got to know, I think what interested me was how he, how he did this. You heard, you played, a, you played that excerpt of his speech, of the Truman Doctrine. He was a terrible speaker, particularly on, on, on the radio. He, he sounded, he sounded like he was reading it. Someone, when he was campaigning in, for, with Roosevelt in 1944, someone said he sounded as if someone was reading from a translation of the Hindustani, and that wasn't entirely wrong. He got training. He got training. He had great big cue cards to help him, and he learned how to modulate his voice and so on. But what interested me about him, he was, well, something very rare today, a thoroughly decent man. He made mistakes. I think the employee loyalty program was certainly a mistake. And, other, and there were certainly more, more consequential mistakes. But, but he was an honorable man. And that interested me to see how an honorable man functions in that city. And that he could make appointments quite, with people quite unlike himself. He had his cronies, his Missourians. But then he had, he, he had someone like Dean Atchison, who couldn't have been less unlike Truman a native of Jackson County, Missouri, a descendant of the Confederacy. And then here's Atchison, Groton and Yale and Harvard and so on. So, and they were very close. They were, but, you know, one word that sort of came to my mind in reading about your account of Harry Truman, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, is ordinary. He was an ordinary guy from, you know, a not terribly big town in Missouri thrust into an extraordinary situation and ends up handling it pretty well, right? Yeah. You know, no great rhetorician, you know, no great thinker, well-read, but, you know, not no political philosopher in any way and not particularly ideological, uh, just a partisan Democrat. An ordinary guy. An ordinary guy who, who, who I think recognized his limitations and listened to people, listened to people that, 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 that he admired, particularly Atchison and also, very important, General, General George C. Marshall. General Marshall, he was the, he, everyone was in awe of Marshall. When Atchison uh, was undersecretary and, and the Secretary of State, James Burns, Jimmy Burns was left, Marshall became the Secretary of State, and Atchison just loved going to work and working for this guy. He Truman had, I, the phrase I think today, he had a man crush on him, on Marshall. And Marshall actually told his biographer, Forrest Pogue, I could get him to do anything. And that was pretty much true, except for... Except not for the, true, not no, true. Except for the recognition of Israel. Yes, and, and was Marshall one, was yes. not just opposed to the recognition of Israel. He threatened to resign. Not quite. He said that if I were voting, I would vote against you. And, and yeah. uh, no, there were very he was and he he no, no, he got he was very upset by it. And that was the one. And Dean Atchison was on that same side. And James Forrestal, the secretary of defense, was on that side, too. They did not. They, they saw huge problems down the road. And of course, they were they Truman was acting. This was Truman acting out of out of conscience and morality. And I think and because conscience had, and morality or politics, um, I'm not sure. it was politics, an election I'm not, year. 
year. Right? Yeah, it was an election mm-hmm. year. And, and by the way, he, he he lost New York that year, by the way. So yeah, well, he so, was running against the governor of New York. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But he, uh, no, it was politics, but also um, Atchison, I think Atchison was had was particularly had noticed these um these these refugee camps uh, in in uh, outside Germany, and and it was a no, there were there was it was a matter, and it was conscious, and also Truman was 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 influenced by his by his old friend uh, Eddie Jacobson. Um, with, he'd gone into business in, in, in Kansas City, the haberdashery, and Jacobson sort of lobbied Truman and or, or asked him to meet Chaim Weizmann, who was going to become president of uh, president of Israel. And, and I think Truman called him Cham, but, but it was, he didn't quite get it right. And Truman, so Truman was very influenced by these personal things, too. And he was he was not um, he, he, he hated being lobbied by the Zionist and so on, but he was but he was very sympathetic to the cause nonetheless. And he um, and so I so I it, it was a mixed bag. Of, of course, there was an election year. But but I think it was a, I do think this was Truman and Truman acting out of sort of instinct. He said, let me just say one more. He said at one point, there are two people sitting at this desk, the uh, Harry Truman and the president of the United States. And I think when when he acted on Israel, it was Harry Truman speaking. On other questions such as race, it was the president of the United States speaking. Yeah. I was going to follow up on that. 1948 is a sort of like a, a pretty pivotal year. Um, at least, you know, we're talking about the recognition of Israel, which happens in the spring of 1948. In the summer of 1948, Harry Truman signs an executive order that integrates the United States Army and the, and the armed forces. A pretty monumental move in the kind of in the in the civil rights era. Yet it's it's kind of a mixed record on Harry Truman and civil rights. What you know, he's half a hero half a half a cad is that the way to describe it no no neither way i mean he was a man of his time and his upbringing and he rose to an occasion he really did he was actually going after black voters in jackson county he gave a speech in 1940 saying the negro does not want social equality all they want is sort of equal equal i can read i don't have it here but i can i can read it it's quite interesting and he was and he was very most definitely the the child of of the Confederacy, he even late in life he was against sort of the, the um the sort of sit-ins of lunch counters. That was very that 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 bothered him. But he really believed in equal justice, and he was very very upset by some of the some of what was going on in the South. There was an intentional blinding of of a soldier, and that that became a huge case. Actually, Orson Welles began to talk about it, and that disturbed Truman. He was very disturbed by the reports of lynchings and so on. And when he and then he gave a big. A speech, or he, he uh, at the Lincoln Memorial, and he was there with with the what you may call the enemies, the modern enemies of the Confederacy, Eleanor Roosevelt, Walter White, who was the president and head of the NAACP, and he gave the speech and said he 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 wanted to do the right thing, and and Walter White, among others, thought believed him. He these are very modest steps by today's standards, but he but he did it. And the, as far as the integrating the armed forces, that was an order he gave in at, after the convention of 1940. He already, by the way, he'd already lost the South. They'd already walked out, and uh, and we're going to, and Strom Thurmond, the the governor of South Carolina, was about to form the what we called the Dixiecrat Party, but um, but he, uh, he he did it actually, but it was actually Eisenhower who who actually implemented the whole thing. 
Speaking of the Dixiecrats, that was the 1948 election in which not only was Strom Thurmond running to take away Southern votes from Truman, but you had Henry Wallace running on the Progressive Party ticket, taking away liberal votes from Truman. Not Um, very many. (laughs) Well, not Not enough to elect Tom Dewey president, but one can understand why so many people assumed Dewey was going to win that election. Yeah. So how did Truman facing, you know, all those defections on both his right and left flank manage to pull it out? Well, isn't that interesting? Truman, yeah, Truman, um, one thing Truman was not, Dewey was not a very impressive opponent. Wallace, Wallace basically had no, had had, had very few, very, very few votes. But by the way, it's important to note that Wallace was really ticked at Truman. He was fired as Secretary of Commerce. And he had a certain perch for a while. He was the editor of the New Republic for a while. And he let his feelings, he let his, even though he was, he let his feelings un, in unsigned editorials creep into them, creep into the magazine. A warning Strong lesson Thurman. for journalists who want to go into politics. <laughs> right. your, well, yeah. Yeah. Be careful of you. Be careful of who owns you. Yeah. Uh, Strom, Strom Thurmond got a lot of, did pros, was a real threat. And he did get a, I, I, don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he got quite a few electoral votes. And, 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 and it really was a worry that he would throw the election into the House. Truman, yeah, I mean, Truman just did it by sheer guts and luck and bad polling. I mean, there was very bad polling, clearly. The Elmo Roper, Elmo Roper said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop polling. It's a waste of time. This, thing, this thing's over. And that's what happened. So I can't, but I, it's all a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we all remember the, the photo of yes, Truman yes. holding up the, uh, uh, the Chicago Tribune headline. Yeah, you know, in defense of it. Yeah. I can't Truman. really defend yeah. the Chicago Tribune. That was only a very... Was the very early edition what we used to call the cap to the cap, which went out to the provinces. So they're, they're, it's, it's a very rare paper. If you can find one, it's worth a lot of money. There was so much going on during the Truman years that it's almost sort of you know head spinning when you think about it. We've talked about you know some of those here: the dawn of the Cold War, creation of NATO, but also in Asia, the fall of China. Mao Zedong comes to power. Chiang Kai-shek exiles to uh, what we called then Formosa, and the Korean War in 1950, and Truman's um, feud with the guy he finally fires, General Douglas MacArthur. And reading your account of that, MacArthur seemed so clueless and oblivious to the really strong intelligence that the Chinese would get into the Korean War if he went up, he brought allied troops up to the Yalu River. And you know, there were plenty of warnings, and MacArthur ignores them. By the way, you, you left out one thing that he was happening in that period. It was the atomic bomb also. Was also yeah, no, I'm going to I'm going to come back to yeah, the atomic bomb because I was going to say that I want to close with that because that's probably the most consequential thing Truman no, did, did as president I, I that people because- remember today, but. No, I, even though even though it really wasn't his decision, but but I mean, in, yeah. I mean, te- technically it was. Well, I mentioned yeah. it because that was also part of the Korean Korean War. MacArthur was wanted to use the thing. He had a whole list of cities in China, and for that matter, Russia. If it, uh, he was ready to sort of drop drop the drop, and uh, Senator Gore, Albert Gore's father, planned, had wanted to put a radioactive belt down to sort of stop the giant. By the way, you can't blame MacArthur entirely. I mean, this, these warnings should have reached Dean Acheson. 
and they didn't, and and they and they didn't. The warnings from China, they were very clear, and they couldn't have been clearer. And uh, and that if the if American American troops cross the 38th parallel, they were going to get into it. And the Chinese were very clear. Also, they said if South we're not we're talking about Americans or, or the South Korean troops. So, uh, but it was it was an incredibly stupid war, in fact, because it, it was it ended. Thirty seven thousand Americans were died. I don't know, hundreds of thousands of Koreans, Lord knows how many Chinese, the entire, all of North Korea was basically obliterated. And uh, and when it was all over, nothing had changed except that the North Koreans picked up one city they hadn't had before. And there were a lot of years of hatred starting started with, uh, with, the, with, with, with the family that's still there. Could it have been avoided? Yeah, sure. No, not avoided, but it could have been stopped in September 1950 when the war, when MacArthur, the war was basically won. And, and so that's when MacArthur, MacArthur's great, great move. He had this, the, the landing in, in Chan. And uh, suddenly the Americans were on the move. The, the North Koreans were in retreat. And we had won this thing. And we, and we, and we could have, we, and, and in fact, intelligence today shows that we could have ended the war then. But MacArthur at that point wanted to go north and occupy or take over the entire country. And he got Stop to go at in. the demarcation line between North and South Korea and yeah, that, well, that's call how it, it quits. That's right. how it would have ended, yeah. It, it is how it ended, but several yeah. years later, right? Three years, and, yeah, three years. And many a lot thousands of, of Americans yeah. dead. I, I mean, who Korea. knows? But there's but, but there's been a lot of intelligence from the. I mean, there's coming out. I mean, it's never. There's still people are still looking into it. Do well, what was the what was the Russian role? What, what were the Chinese really thinking? What were the North Koreans really? But it, I think it's pretty. We could the war could have been ended. We we had to get into it because of the Truman Doctrine and because of NS mostly because of NS NSC sixty eight the uh, the sort of then secret. Um, declaration or, or sort of analysis of the world situation by, by the national security agency, but um, I mean by the, by the intelligence agencies. But we had, but we didn't have to didn't get into it that way, and we and we were the supreme victors of World War II. And how could we be defeated by this little pipsqueak nation that, uh, in, in the country the size of well, the size of England? And well, and, and in fact, we were because because of, because the Chinese were coming in. Let's talk about the atomic bomb because, as I said, I think if you ask. If you poll most Americans today, what do they remember about Harry Truman? It may be the first thing they would say is he's the guy who dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You said before, and you sort of argue in the book, that it wasn't really a decision that he had to make. It was almost preordained that the atomic bombs would be used to end the Second World War before Truman ever takes office. What I, what I argued was that, yes, he gave the order and therefore, and he owned it. He owned it. I, he would write, I gave the order. But but the it was already already in, in progress. Truman had been president for a very short time. We were, in the, we were in a war against a hated enemy. The so-called interim committee had already decided to go ahead with, there were no objections. No one thought, no one questioned the idea to, of using it. And then the target committee just chose to chose his first choice was to drop the bomb on Kyoto, this beautiful city of shrines and, and, and temples and so on. And and uh, and it was actually Henry Stimson, the Secretary of War, who said, hey, "Don't don't do that, uh, Mr. President. Uh, this is a they will hate us forever if you do." And Truman didn't drop the bomb on Kyoto. And then so he made. So I would argue that his really big decision was not to bomb Kyoto, and, and they went ahead with Hiroshima instead. Mm. But that it brings in, uh, you know, introduces us to the world of nuclear weapons. And, you know, it is so striking to read just how big of a, a factor that was during this whole period. And, you know, 
sprinkled throughout the book, you have references to plans for nuclear conflict, testing for nuclear bombs, worries about the what the Russians, when the Russians were going to get the bomb. But you do talk about during the Berlin airlift, when there were serious tensions because the Russians had cut off access to Berlin, the Joint Chiefs update their strategy for nuclear <laughs> conflict, right. arriving at a war plan called Trojan, which included a target list of 70 cities, 20 of them considered first priority, and which the chiefs estimated would require 133 atomic weapons. There were plans to bomb Russia with 133 atomic weapons. Well, there was it was it was definitely a, a plan that could have been implemented. I mean, obviously, it didn't happen, and the and the Berlin situation didn't 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 escalate. But um, but it was um, you know actually there was a people were quite frightened. There was a General Clay sent a memo to uh to Washington in March of of, of 48 saying uh and this was before before the Berlin I mean we're we're hearing I sense that war is imminent and uh and General Leahy the chief of staff was uh, thought that Russia was about to uh to to move into western Europe and then it turned out there was a block a blockade and then a bigger blockade and then the US as you know re responded with the with the Berlin airlift which was turned out to be a very successful 11 month program which brought food and and heating and other things to to uh, millions of Berliners can there be a key? Do you think there's going to end up being a Kiev airlift um, before the Ukraine it, war is yeah, over? Yeah, I, I, I just keep trying to see that analogy. It's yes. if you have an airlift to Kiev, then you have somehow NATO is involved, isn't it? I don't know. How do we how we do this? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Somebody has to fly the planes in to Kiev. Um, maybe a non maybe a non NATO country like Sweden could bring them in. I don't I don't know how we do it. You know, if if people know something else about Harry S. Truman, they probably know the uh, the sign that sat at the front of the the desk in the Oval Office. The buck stops here, and it's this one. This one. That, exactly, <laughs> the buck stops here. Tell us a little bit about that sign, and uh, and maybe if you can step back from Harry Truman in particular, the way that sign and what it means about the presidency has, to a certain degree, hung over all subsequent presidents. Victoria, I don't know that much about how that, with that sign of the Oval. It's just one of these things that, that became sort of, I don't know, but not myth. There really was, and Truman did, and Truman did want the buck to stop with him, but I really don't know much about it, about, about how it got there and what it really means. It wasn't much discussed. It wasn't an issue. And, but Truman did take responsibility. Truman did own the stuff he did, did own the decisions he made. And he did, and he, and he was very loyal to his to his staff. He did he, he did stick up for them when, if if they were under attack. Atchison, in particular, was under furious attack all the time. And Truman Truman stepped in and said, "You know, they're attacking me." And that was just very much part of the ethos of yeah. the era. Remember when uh, Dean Atchison is first asked about uh, Alger Hiss after he's been yeah. accused of having been a communist spy? What does Atchison say? I'm I'm not going to abandon an old friend, and he sticks by him. Yeah, he didn't say old friend, but yes, it's true. And, and and then he quoted the Bible. His father was a was a was a clergyman. Yeah, yeah. So, as somebody who's read your earlier novels, I know you have a oh, you keen have eye for Washington pomposity and hypocrisy. And there's one character in your book who uh, gets skewed for uh, those traits and and others, uh, and that's Clark Clifford. 
somebody who was revered for years as a great wise man in Washington and uh, somebody who people went to for sage advice. And um, you suggest that he was not quite the wise man when he was a uh, counselor to Harry Truman that uh, subsequent folks believed. Yeah, he, he was someone who really liked to take credit for things he didn't do. There are just two things in particular. There was a big, big political memo, the Clifford memo, which he didn't write. It was given to him and he put his name on it and passed it on. And uh, and the other thing. And this and, is the memo about what the strategy should the be. The strategy for the was about, about campaign. Yeah, yeah. all the different voting blocks in, this, in, in, in the South and so on and the South and the East and, and, and the rest of it. And he and it, this was this was this was Clifford. And he was he was just a guy that um, he, he sort of stepped in and liked it, liked it, liked, liked to take credit. He took he took credit for Israel. He was in the meeting when 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 Marshall sort of went off. And uh, so and Marshall was, says, why is he even? here because he views Clifford as purely a domestic political guy, shouldn't be involved in in shaping foreign policy decisions. But Clifford was a very, 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 very smooth guy. And he and he always was. And then he left and became a very, very, very wealthy Washington lawyer. And then he got in trouble later on in his, which which you know much more about than I do, the BCCI. He was never in my novels. I mean, I I never, I don't think I even had a Clifford-like character. He was he was he, he did it himself. Well, he could have been, he a, could have been. Could have been. Uh, a character in one of your novels. Um, so looking, having spent all this time uh, evaluating Harry Truman's presidency, where do you think he ranks among presidents? Pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, I, I mean, I think Washington, Lincoln, probably Roosevelt. Those are the those are the top three. But Roosevelt, I mean, I, I mean Truman, I, I put him pretty high. I'm not going to use phrases like near grade and medium grade and so on. He was good. He was honorable. He did his best, and that's a lot. That's a lot. We've had presidents who weren't very honorable, and he wasn't a destructive president, as for example, the, the last one we had, who was who basically tries. I mean, I mean, you can't. I can't quite believe what's happening. I mean, Truman, who revered the Constitution, revered the idea of democracy. I can't imagine. They could have reacted to this to this person, and but then but then but then George W. Bush, who who created havoc with his policies, who did more damage, we're still we're still trying to work it out, and that, that's something Truman could not could never never done. So I will, I would put them close to the bottom, or maybe at the bottom, and Truman Truman was pretty good. Put him there. <laughs> Although I just want to just like you know he was intensely partisan, and his rhetoric at times was pretty heated. It was, but he could also he could also get along with. With the Republicans, he 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 relied a good deal on Arthur Vandenberg, the who who became who became the actually the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, and who and who and who was very very important in the pa- passage of the Marshall Plan and and in passage of the of the Truman Doctrine. So he was so he was able to he was able to get along with with important Republicans and 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 so on. He he was very partisan, you know, in elections that he would and he would and but um, but it, but it was you know, he was it was in 1948 he talked about the the do nothing Congress. Well, they did a lot. They passed the Atomic Energy Act and as I say, and the Marshall Plan and things like that. So they did a lot. Mm-hmm. And Truman knew that. He even told Marshall, don't listen to what I'm saying. It's a campaign. That's an indirect quote, but it's in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, in any case, uh, the book is The Trials of Harry S. Truman, the Extraordinary President of an Ordinary Man. There, that's where I got my, uh, <laughs> my duality from your subtitle. I didn't even... Uh, realize it. But really, it is a a terrific read. So, Jeff, thanks for joining us and thanks for writing it. 
Oh, Michael, thank you so much. It was it was great to be with with all with all of you. 